0: I'm going to read the passage this morning. It's Romans 12, 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is
1: Uh, my name is Marshall. If, I, if we haven't met, um, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, uh, and we're really glad that you're here with us. Today, we are actually finishing up a series, so we're glad that you're joining us for the very end. If you missed any of it, go on, go back to the website and take a listen. Viktor Frankl, uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish-Austrian psychiatrist who lived through most of the 20th century. He was born in like 1905. He died in 1997. He saw... Uh, really a historic century where the world changed dramatically over the course of his life. And while he was uh, in his 30s, in his late 30s, uh, he, sp- he ended up spending three years in four different concentration camps during uh, World War II. He was an Austrian Jew, so he got rounded up along with his family and put in the concentration camps. And while he was there, he lost many of his family members to starvation, uh, to sickness, to the gas chambers. He lost his new, newly married wife to typhus. And, um, and if you read sort of the story of Viktor Frankl, it's one of extraordinary resilience. He, he witnessed some of the greatest horrors and atrocities uh, that humans have ever experienced before. He was subject to unimaginable suffering. And in the years immediately following his time in the concentration camps, he wrote one of the most influential books of the 20th century uh, called Man's Search for Meaning. Have any of you uh, read Man's Search for Meaning? A handful? Okay, cool. And in this book, he writes this. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose, which Though, though he uh, is, was not a follower of Jesus, he speaks to something that is so universally humanly true that all of us, deep inside of ourselves, have this inner ache, a longing to live a life that really matters. Like, we all need a sense of purpose or meaning, and until we realize this sense of purpose, um, our lives end up feeling empty. And in our culture, we have sort of a, a very watered-down version of this truth, we we are told to live our truth, or to follow our heart, or in its most basic example, is "you do you." Essentially, we are told that that our job is to find or to create our own meaning. But have you ever thought about that phrase "you do you" or you know uh, you live your own truth? Like, what an overwhelming idea! Like I'm often struck by how blindly confident people can be about the idea of being true to themselves. Few things in the world are as daunting to me than to find my own truth, or me doing me. Like I know me, and I am the last person who should be defining my own truth. More often than not, my truth kinda sucks. It's weak, oh, there's kids present. Sorry guys, sorry parents. (laughs) <laughs> so, so, like, in this, in this world of self-actualization, you know, trying to find our own truth, we end up running from thing to thing, looking for something that will sort of finally fill that inner ache. We chase success, you know, in career or in education. We chase after money. We chase the dream of the ideal marriage or family. We chase some kind of version of the perfect body and none of this ultimately satisfies us. The great Canadian philosopher, Jim Carrey, uh, once said this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so that they can see that it's not the answer. We're Christians we're a church, we follow the way of Jesus, we look to the Bible. So the question is, how does the Bible answer this fundamental human question? What does Jesus have to say about life's biggest and most central questions? And does God really care about what I do or what I don't do with my life? The Christian way of asking this is essentially, what is God's will for my life? How can I know what God has specifically designed me to do? What is my calling or my purpose? Now this morning, like I said, we are wrapping up our winter series that we're calling Sacred Rhythms. It's based off of a book by the same name, by a writer named Ruth Haley Barton. And we've been spending the last couple of months talking about these ancient practices or spiritual disciplines that are meant to draw us beyond ourselves and beyond sort of the the values of the world, kind of into the deeper places, the deeper longings of a heart that God has put in each of us. And, And here's the thing, I teed up, some pretty massive questions at the beginning of this and we don't have nearly enough time to actually get into the philosophical depths of the purpose of life. But for the next few minutes, I just want to talk very simply about how it is that we can try to begin discerning God's will in our lives. What are the practices that we can do to be able to to sort of figure out who God has made us to be? Sometimes we need to discern God's will for the giant questions in life. Like, what career should I pursue? Or should I get married? And if I should get married, who should I get married to? Where should I live or raise a family? Should I stay in this broken marriage or should I leave? The list goes on and on. All of us will be confronted from time to time with life's very, very big questions. And when we are confronted with some of these questions, what we do often as Christians is that we'll do the things we're supposed to do. We'll pray and we'll fast to try to get some kind of sense of clarity. We'll look to the Bible for the verse that tells us what we're supposed to do next. Or we'll talk with our community and we'll try to gain wisdom from all of their experiences. Or we'll fly to a conference where there's a famous pastor who can hear God for us and just hope to get some kind of prophetic word. But, but if we like pause for a minute, I mean, can we actually be confident that the inner peace that we get from praying and fasting or the wisdom from our friends or the prophetic word that we receive from somebody else is really, in fact, God's will for us in any situation? Which brings us to Romans 12, what Brendan just read for us a couple of minutes ago. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul tells us essentially the recipe for being able to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is what he writes. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What we see here is that the way that we discern God's will isn't by waiting for some thundering voice from heaven to declare what your next step is. It isn't looking in some book to discover a secret The way that we test and approve God's will in our lives is by first and foremost by laying our lives down as a living sacrifice to God. It's by rejecting the ways of the world that the world is luring us into all of these false senses of identity and meaning and purpose through achievement or success or outward appearance, but instead letting God change the way that we think or perceive reality. And and I think that it's important to come back to this really, like, basic core truth of what it means to be a Christian, because we so often get the whole thing backwards. Much of the time, we sort of look to God to provide me with some sense of personal fulfillment or purpose. Like, I want God to tell me how great I am and to give me whatever I want. I want God to affirm that I am, in fact, a unique and beautiful snowflake, and that he exists to help me achieve something great. But the truth of the Bible is actually flipped the other way around. God doesn't exist to give me purpose. I exist to find my purpose, my sense of belonging, my sense of meaning in him. And I think that, the, like, let's, let's, like, pause for a minute and just lay hold of that. This is the good news. Because we don't need a heavenly butler who is wait, waiting on us and serving us whatever we want. We need a vision of a transcendent God. The gospel that, all, that anybody who is a Christian believes in is not that we have surveyed all of the options of what would make my life most meaningful and then figured that God would be a good addition to my life. The Bible teaches us that we didn't choose God, that before we ever could have said yes to him, he chose us. He loves you. He saved you. And he's offering you abundant life, not because you are awesome or because you picked correctly, you chose the right door to walk through, but simply because of who he is and how he feels about each one of us. Luke 15 says that we are like dumb wandering sheep and that God is a good shepherd who left everything behind to seek you out and to find you. And it says that then he scoops you up and he puts you on his shoulders and he walks you home. A little bit later in that same chapter, he says that you and I are like a son who squandered his whole inheritance, blowing it on ourselves, our own pleasure, thinking that if we just go, if we use up everything that we have for this or this or this, then that will finally scratch the inner itch. And we end up poor and naked and destitute and alone. And we start to walk back towards him. And before we can ever even apologize or make an excuse to him, the father runs to us, and he embraces us, and he brings us back to the home, and he says that he throws a party for us because his son or his daughter is home. And this, my friends, is not, these are not stories that talk about like a one-time thing, way back when, a long time ago, I was that, and now I'm safely back in the house. This is my life. This is my, this morning, was feeling like a dumb, lost, distant sheep who somehow again got loose and wandered away again. And I found myself, I'll tell you a little story. I was driving this morning and I had this encounter with, with God on the road. I literally had to pull off the, the road into a parking lot because God was, was speaking to me. Because as I was driving, I realized that I had made God this sort of like fuzzy friend that, that makes me feel good when I need to. And I realized I don't have a very good vision in this moment for a transcendent God. And in my frustration, I said, I need a transcendent God. Literally, that's how I prayed it. I need a transcendent God. And I drove about a mile, and that transcendent God, he showed up as my father. And he scooped me up, and he put me on his shoulder, and he brought me back home. This is our lives over and over again. And when we come to passages like Romans 12, we, where it says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, here's the thing, we can only offer our lives as sacrifices to him because Jesus already laid his life down as a sacrifice for us Amen. to wash us clean of all of our brokenness, of all of our rebellion, of all of the folly and misery and, and everything that we have chased after, chased after. And so in light of the gospel, how can we withhold anything from him? How could we possibly see our lives as our own? We have been bought with a price. And not only have we been bought with a price, but he says, you belong to me and I love you. And so if you are tired and weary from trying to figure it all out on your own, and you've been running into dead end after dead end, the good news is that you can just come home. He's inviting you to lay it all down to him and discover his will for your life is even better than anything that you could have imagined for yourself. He will lead you into abundant life in relationship with him. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter eight. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus would say to you, are you looking for life? Are you looking for wholeness in your soul? You could gain the whole world and never find what you're looking for. You'll only find the life that you long for when the good shepherd comes and scoops you up and puts you on his shoulder And walks you back to the pen you don't have to figure it all out on your own and if you want to live a life of purpose and clarity about who you are and what you're made for then you need to learn how to ground yourself in God not feeling around for what you hope will satisfy you and then asking God to give you that but to anchor your soul in who God is and who he has made you to be and what Jesus has done for you on the cross and letting that be the definition for your life. And yet we all still have this curiosity about what God wants to do in me. What is God's plan for me? And so, when we talk about learning how to be confident in God's will, we are talking about a practice called discernment. And it's something that we grow in over time with intentionality. Ruth Haley Barton defines discernment like this She says, The habit of discernment is a quality of attentiveness to God that is so intimate that over time we develop an intuitive sense of God's heart and purpose for any given moment. The aim of the Christian walk is simply that it's to walk with God to hear his voice, and to become like him as we fully surrender our lives to him. It is a way of being attentive to who God is, where he is at work, and what he is inviting us into. And here is the cool thing. God's will for us in general is actually to lead us into a life that is full of joy and purpose and fulfillment. And and the the, promise is that, like, we're not just cookie cutter, one size fits all. He has uniquely wired each of us in different ways with different desires and different gifts. And as we offer ourselves over to God, he directs our gifts and desires so that we feel more and more aligned with what he has designed for us. And that that is where we experience sort of the sweet spot the life that we've always wanted. It's learning how to be attuned to the subtle spiritual dynamics that work within us so that we are able to distinguish what is good, uh, what, so that we are able to distinguish what is good, which means the the, the things that move us closer to God um, and towards his calling for our lives, and, and then to distinguish what is bad, the things that draw us away from him. Um, in Ignatian spirituality there are two categories that sort of describe these inner dynamics uh, and they're called consolation and desolation. Consolation is just simply learning to pay attention to what things bring us bring us a life-giving connection with God. What are the things or the movements in my life that draw me towards him and satisfy my soul? Consolation is what are the things that point us towards our most authentic self in God. It's the feeling that all is right with the world and that I am free to be given over to God in both joy and pain. It's not circumstantial, it's a settledness of soul that feels like, ah, I am being drawn into the presence of God. On the other hand, desolation is the loss of of God's presence. It comes when we notice a feeling of disconnection from God or disconnection from sort of our authentic self, when we feel like we're living falsely. It might be a subtle sense of dis-ease, or it might be a feeling of fear or, or rebellion. And that consolation and desolation are these two categories that are meant to be these subtle guides that help us learn who we are in God and how to discern how God is leading me in any given season. So recently, I was going through a week where I just felt exhausted, I was drained, I was dissatisfied in my work, I was like over it. And here's the thing, like my tank was feeling really, really empty, but I thought I was doing everything right, I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. I was reading my Bible each day, I was tending to my sleep patterns, I was spending time in prayer, I was doing all the usual things to fill me up, and yet I was exhausted. And a lot of my days during that time were spent having these deep heart-level sort of pastoral counseling type of conversations and I was preparing for a really big board meeting and so it just drained me I was completely wiped out I was exhausted I was kind of irritable and cranky but then the next week was totally different I felt alive I was refreshed I was energized I had the same bible time same prayer habits same sleep patterns but I was spending most of my time sort of in a sweet spot. I was exploring sort of vision for the year ahead. I was problem solving for the future. I was hearing God's voice for what he wants to do in my life or my family's life or for the life of the church. And upon reflection, what I realized was that I was feeling drained because I was spending so much of my time doing things that I was not good at, that I was not gifted or really well-designed to do. Like, I'm bad at these things and they don't give me life. And when I spend all of my energy on those, it actually actually drains me. But when I cast vision, or I talk about God's heart for the future, or I rally people to something exciting and new, it actually fills my tank up. I feel this, like, energy and excitement. And and listen to me, God does not promise us that we only have to do the things that we really, really like to do, right? We all have to do all of the things from time to time. Um, But But it's paying attention to how has God wired me so that I can actively live into the gifts, the passions, the desires, and the call that he has put on my life as a living sacrifice. And then further in Romans 12, Paul goes on to say this, another long passage. He says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgments in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, for as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, who though, we though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so when we come to the Christian life, it's not this like, here is the prepackaged, how if everybody will just conform to this one very specific way of living your life, then you will all have the exact same results. He says, no, every single one of us is designed a little bit differently. And there will be some things that are universal, but there will be plenty of things that are going to be varied, that they're going to be as varied as, as we are. And so if you want to live into the sweet spot of your life, you don't have to try to be like the person who is really gifted and called for, you know, encouragement when your gift specifically is prophecy. You know, you don't have to be, like, exactly like the person who really, like, it just is filled up by serving when your gift is to teach. The only exception is that probably we all have to give generously, right? Just... <laughs> Sneak that one in there. He's put the, and and that we as a body all together, when we come together, we are all mutually edified as each and every one of us fully lives into all of the good stuff that God has put in our lives. So as each one of us is actively exploring and pressing into and giving ourselves to what we sense is God's will for our lives, the promise is that everyone will actually benefit everyone will grow. Everyone will experience more and more life. The church is meant to be a community of people who are growing into our gifts and our calls together. We are helping each other become who God has designed and called us to be. We encourage each other as each of us test and approve the good, pleasing, and perfect will for, of God for our lives. So what has God given you to do? What are the things that are bringing you consolation where you feel alive in God? What are the things that you feel God's pleasure in? What is drawing you closer to him as you step out in faith and take some risks? And where is the desolation? Where are you experiencing sort of the limits of your gifts and your calling? It just feels like it's draining you. It's kind of sucking your soul, and you don't feel God's presence or his pleasure in it. It's just sort of a grinding submission. What are the gifts that God is developing in you, and how is he calling you to live them out among God's people? That is essentially what discernment is all about. And so this, at this point, I want to invite the pastor's team Uh, and Steve to come on up because we we teed this up last week that um, we we have some things that we want to share with you. Over the last few months, God has slowly been at work behind the scenes in the hearts of some of our leaders. Um, We we as a team, we spend a lot of time uh, in prayer and listening and talking together, trying to sense what is it that God, Steve, you took the wrong seat. Sorry, if if you were here for the pre-meeting, if you were here for the pre-meeting, I'm oh, sorry, Come, why don't you take the seat over here, Steve? <laughs> we des- we designed this. We have a plan here, Steve, okay? I've read about this. Sorry, everybody.
2: <laughs> um,
1: we, we spend a lot of time as a team, like praying and listening and trying to discern, what is God saying for our church community? What is he leading us into into the future? But over the last few months, one of the things that's been, been popping up even more so is, is kind of a shared team-wide experience of discerning God's will for sort of the individuals who, who are here in, in this team. Um, And so a few months ago, uh, a friend of mine uh, shared a a prophetic word that she felt like God had given her, um, just signaling that within a year we were going to see uh, that the makeup of our leadership team was going to look really different. And when you hear a word like that, um, the temptation is to panic, but I just put it in my pocket, did some breathing exercises, and I was fine. Um, And I just held it before the Lord, and I felt like he said to wait and to trust him And within a few weeks after that word, not sharing it with anybody, I started having conversations with some of the members of our team, some of the leaders of our church who were each individually feeling like God was beginning to prompt something in them. Like he was moving them into a new chapter. And so totally independently and for totally good reasons, Liz, Jace, and Josh started to feel like God was inviting them into a new season with new roles in our church and it initially freaked me out, not going to lie, but I want to I tee up the conversation we're about to have by saying, this is totally God, this is totally good, and I have a complete confidence that the Lord is doing something really unique in this moment. So I'm just going to invite my friends to, to share a little bit about their journey of how they have been discerning God's will for their lives.
3: Morning. Hey, guys. So yeah, I'm Josh. If we haven't met, I'm the worship pastor here. And um, I'm going to just read to you guys, I I don't want to miss anything, so I'm just going to read what I have. Over the last two years, I've experienced a sense that it's time for me to step aside from my role as a worship pastor, and I chose the word step aside instead of step down because it really does feel like I'm stepping aside to make room and not just cutting out. Um, I started nine years ago when I was 21 and had no clue what I was doing. And along the way, my time has been filled with powerful moments with the highest quality team around me. If you know my story, you'll know that worship is at the core of, of who I am. I'm sure many of you know that I'm also a teacher. I teach middle school health and fitness, and I also am very involved as a coach of multiple sports. And chances are, if you're wondering where I'm at, um, you can find me in a funky-smelling gym um, pretty much 24-7. Um, and, you know, for me, that's a form of ministry. For a long time, I was able to do both jobs, coaching and teaching, and being the worship pastor here um, pretty well. It was kind of my dream to, to be a worship pastor and be involved at a church, but also do what I, also, what I really love, which is teaching and coaching. Um, but over the last... Uh, two years, I've experienced a shift of passion and availability. I felt the tug to move more towards teaching and coaching. I'm not quite sure how to explain my job as a teacher. I think the best picture that comes to mind is walking with, with kids and families uh, through the mud of life. And I love it, it gives me deep joy and feeds the deepest spots of my soul. And to me, it's pastoring, it's truly pastoring. My position here as a worship pastor has been such an enriching, powerful, and life-giving time. But at times, I feel more like a ceiling for my team, and at times they get scraps when they deserve more. I'm really excited at the thought of allowing space and stepping aside for something or someone new to take this team into the next season. Of course, I'm I'm sad. I'm nervous. I'm a people pleaser. So anytime you know change happens or you know perceive that I'm letting someone down, that that impacts me. So. Of course, I've had to work work through that. Um, I've discerned and I know that, that this is time. Moving forward, my plan is to take a rest, but my full intention is to remain here at VVC, lead worship occasionally if you'll have me, and be a support to whoever takes the lead. I'm not leaving, fleeing, or moving on, I'm just stepping aside. I'm very appreciative of the pastor's team who's been in full loving support of this process, Marshall has pastored me incredibly well and walked with me through this process. And I wanna be clear that I'm not offended, I'm not mad, I'm not having a faith crisis and I'm not just exploding and and moving on. (laughs) Uh, This decision has been fully made on what's best for my team, my spiritual health and the season of life that I'm in. So some details, we really don't have a full grasp of of what we're really heading into. but these are th- some things that we do know. Um I'll be remaining in this role until September of 2023. And um that's all we know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we are working we're working hard um to figure out what's next, how this role might change, um who who might take this role and uh yeah, I really appreciate you guys for for being with me for the last nine years and letting me be your worship pastor. So that's all I have. I'm gonna pass it on to Liz.
4: Hello, it's me, Liz, the youth pastor with this church. Um, I'm gonna read notes as well because I'm a rabbit trailer by nature and it might happen, but I'm gonna do my best to stick to what I wrote down. Um, If you're a youth in this audience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I've been feeling and discerning a pull and call back to full-time teaching coming this fall, um, which is something that I felt a pull towards since I was 14. I got my degree in secondary education for uh, theater and speech, and that has remained to be something within me. I'm deeply passionate about education, specifically English and theater, and that's what I believe the Lord is inviting me back into. I'm deeply passionate about equity and student populations that are undeserved, and I'm deeply, deeply, deeply passionate that students come to know their inherent value and worth, and that they can be known and loved by people and their creator. I hope to continue the work I began when I was teaching in inner city LA here in Vancouver. It's a flame that's burned within my heart for years and one that continues to burn within me for our youths in our incredible youth group, too. But there is something about this drawing to the classroom and Shakespeare's canon of works. Like, have y'all read The Merry Wives of Windsor? Incredible. Fantastic. Magical. And poetry and the arts and, and learning how to write and read well that has never quite left the quiet corners of my heart. I feel the Lord has re-given me the green light to continue this dream that I've had for a really, really long time. This invitation into teaching is not an exit out of this church community because this is my home. This is where I feel seen and loved and known. This is where I want to stay of my own free will. I love it here, and I want to be here with all of you. My hope is to teach here in Vancouver and continue to plant roots in this city I'm still here, and I'm still present. The way that I've been framing this to all the youths is I'm around and absolutely available, but I am no longer the captain of the ship of Firelight Youth Group. I love each and every student in our group so, so deeply, and that is not going to change either, ever, in a million years. Um, This wasn't a snap decision by any means. The discerning conversations I've had with Marshall, who's been an incredible support and pastor to me through this, others and students have led to other conversation about how Firelight's needs have also really changed. We're more than doubled, almost in fact tripled, um, in the last couple of years, praise the Lord. But one of the things that's become evident over time is our need to have more intentional focus and differentiation between middle school and high school. It's repeated feedback I've received from adults and students alike. That being said, the current vision is not just that I am stepping aside, it's that the role is actually going to be split into two positions, a middle school person and a high school person. We don't know who these two people are, but I would love to invite y'all into praying about what that could look like for the motley crew that meets every Wednesday night. All the youths were informed this past Wednesday and the feedback was all very encouraging. There was one scream, but that was expected, I invited it. I have have an incredible team of six leaders with me who have poured care and time and love and support into the students and myself, and who will continue to care for the youths alongside me during this transition. And I trust them completely. So shout out to all the leaders in the room. I confess I don't quite know what all of this will look like um, come August, which is the intended timeline for stepping down, assuming I am able to get a job, hopefully, in one of the school districts here. And I don't know what job I'll have yet, but I am hopeful to continue to be involved just in a different way. Um, There's a lot of life booming in Firelight right now. We have a youth worship program, we have our first summer retreat coming up, and none of those things are going away or changing. I'm going to be hopeful to continue to be here and involved with the students just in a different way. I'm at complete peace. Um, and I know that the Lord will, will meet us all in this a hundred percent.
2: everyone. I'm Jace. Um, I'm also going to read, uh, yeah, Marshall just talked about discerning the voice of God and, um, like you, I'm sure I, I find that to be very difficult and daunting. Um, but This last year has been a master class for me in discerning God's voice, um, but not just his voice, discerning like all the voices in my head. Which so I'm just saying I'm like insane, but like th- there's lots of t- voices talking to me. Um, and uh, um, that is as much a part of learning how to hear God's voice is learning how to figure out which ones aren't God. Um, And it's a really painful process sometimes. Um, So through a series of prayer sessions and then a long run of um, therapy through 2022, as well as continual conversations with several trusted friends in this room, this past year I began to explore all the weirdness um, that I've inherited from my childhood, weirdness that I just never thought to question. And so for a million different reasons, my upbringing, I'm just going to give you a quick snapshot for a few minutes here. My upbringing produced in Jace Schwartz like a sleek little creature of um, duty and service and checking boxes. I was the kid during the string of divorces that knew what to say, when to say it, how to say it, um, to keep peace, to please people, to make sure everyone was comfortable. Um, And I got really good at it, and I've always just chalked that up to be like my superpower. I just know how to like make people happy in a room and kind of do that thing. Um, but then I, I grew up, I met Jesus, and I came to a point in my final scenes of high school where I had to make a decision for college and a career. Um, and I was off, it was off to Bible school, I go. Um, and that decision was awesome. It was so, so, so awesome. But in my mind, there was only ever one finish line to, that, to a degree like that. There's only one thing you can do with a Bible degree. You just become a pastor. That's what you do. Um, and that sounded fine to me. Um, And being the, like, good son for everyone that everyone wanted me to be. And where better place to use a superpower like that than the church? Um, But over the last year or so, um, through some just incredibly painful soul work, I began to see pretty clearly that our superpowers are often um, our greatest defense mechanisms. And um, I'm sure most of you know this, but it took me a really long time, like 30 years, to figure that out. And the cold, hard reality is I had built a life around my heart that reinforced all those messages about childhood. God's voice was indistinguishable from my parents' voice and my teachers' voices and the sort of ubiquitous voice of American church culture that says, like, do good, work hard, earn favor, make people feel loved, and just be obedient. That's the grind. Do it. Do it. Until you die, you good and faithful servant. And so really this became a theological paradigm shift for me because at the core of a life of duty is this theology. And this is what I want to talk to you guys about. There is a portrait of God in my mind. There has been. This is a God, and let me sketch it for you. He's a general breeding an army of dutiful, obedient soldiers who will take some message out into the world. Um, Many will die, but the sacrifice is worth it. And whatever you do, just don't step a toe out of line. Um, with the God in the realm of of disobedience we'll say Um, and all will be fine sir yes sir and for um, for others in my mind God was super loving and generous but in my mind like that's the portrait of God it's just a grumpy general Um, and this is like if I can like characterize the summation of all those voices in my mind it sounds cartoony but I promise you that's like the voices in my head um, but while I'm living my life thinking that all this messaging is coming from God, <laughs> another voice starts to pop up, um, that of my actual body, my physical body, which is holding within itself an unbelievable amount of anxiety and stress. And then the actual voice of my children, who are on the receiving end of my short temper and my irritability, irritability um, and all these voices literally screaming at me, and then there's another voice that I'm having to listen to, which is a really still small one. Um, and he starts inviting me to ask some questions. And so here's one of the questions. Is that who God really is? <laughs> like a brutal commander of duty robots whose bad side you just never hoped to get on? And I can tell you the clear answer is no. And the irony is, is that for many years, you guys have sat under my teaching as I've taught you, that that's totally not who God is. (laughs) Like, who the God that I've been describing to you from the pulpit is, like, so kind and awesome and creative and loving. And so, man, he's great. I love that guy. (laughs) Um, But inside, boy, I better do a good job on Sunday morning or God's going to be mad. Um, And so what all of this was, essentially, was a misaligned life of pieces that just, like, are not fitting together as they should. While the past seven years have been so wonderful, like so filled with grace, they've been such a joy being a pastor here. has I mean, it's been nothing but a blessing, just goodness and goodness and goodness. The truth is I've also been living like a very compartmentalized and stressful existence as I've worked through my theology, my practice, and my own baggage as I every day put on like the pastor hat. Um, and it all sort of came down to just Discerning God's voice. Um, I genuinely believe that over the past year, God himself, like the true God, the creator of the universe, (laughs) was like talking to me and wants to rescue me. Um, But to do that, like we had to wade through like the treacherous waters of childhood memory, And all of those messages that I internalized as coming from him (laughs) when it never was coming from him. Um, And then he began to show me an even wilder terrain, the terrain of my own desires, which I've always assumed should just be closed up in like a like a locked box because they're always against God. But my theology was changing pretty quickly. And what if God, instead of just hating our desires, what if he actually put some of them there? And what if he delights in us? Like, what if? What if God enjoys us? What if he loves us? And what if, like, he even loves it, especially when we just come awake to our desires and what he put in us and who we're meant to be? And that we can, like, stand up straight in that beloved identity. What if that's what gets him so excited? (laughs) What kind of a God is that? And so it just gets more scandalous. Like, in, in this God, there's, like, terrifying freedom terrifying because a militant God sometimes feel more safe. Like I know where the black and white boundaries are. I know what's right and wrong. I just don't do that. I do that. Case closed. Like that's almost a more comfortable God. But what if that was all like way too narrow a paradigm? And what if my idea of obedience was incredibly malnourished? I mean, it had to be. My brittle, weak understanding of obedience could not take into account 2,000 years of diverse church history, plus all of the believers around the world who are loving and serving him in infinitely diverse ways. My version of obedience was lame. And so what do I do with that? I go through an absolute identity crisis is what I do. (laughs) So this past year, I began to internalize a life-changing reality, which I call like nothing short of the Evangelion, the good news. God is a generous king. And in Jesus, somehow, he sets before me an abundant table of blessing and life. And he actually wants to and enjoys walking with me hand in hand. And get a load of this, church. He even has the audacity to say to me, Jace, what do you want? Which is not to say he's a genie in a bottle but it is to say he cares about me. He loves me. He delights in me. He enjoys me. And he's not some sort of pagan God who gives me the silent treatment when I step a toe out of line or in whom I find nothing but curse and disappointment if I start to talk about like, these desires I have. Sure, he's on the side of obedience and duty and responsibility. And in the right context, those are noble things. Um, they're, They're great things But in the wrong context in my context They've been warped and i've dragged them into this pastoral position in a really unhelpful way And I feel convinced that god is saying why don't you just jace? Why don't you just act out your theology? A little bit. Why don't you just live as if you truly believe that I don't need you. I want you Why don't you live? As if you believe that I don't love you any less if you're not like an official pastor. (laughs) And there are all sorts of things we can do together that take into account your creativity and your desires and the way you're made. Like, so there's so many ways to bless the church, Jace. You have no idea. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm stepping down from this position, but I'm stepping further into this wild love of Jesus That is so exciting and freeing and bursting open with potential. And in case it's not clear, like we're not stepping away from the church. None of us. This is like the weirdest transition. We're all just like, we'll see you next Sunday. Um, This is so, you guys, this is so far from church scandal or abuse or burnout from like dysfunctional leadership. (laughs) Like there's so many stories out there right now and that's not what this is. Like no way. This team has been so gracious in helping me discern all of this. Marshall's been so awesome. I'm blessed by our crew. I'm blessed by all of you. And serving this position was and is a part of the abundance I feel like God has placed before me. I don't think there's any reason to view the past seven years as like a mistake or anything like that. Like, no way. It's been beautiful. And it's all been part of the story. But what I'm doing today um, is an outworking of, ironically, like some sort of obedience to God's wider invitation to me. <laughs> and within that invitation is a lot of joy and creativity um, and uncharted waters moving forward. I'm still going to be a part of the t- teaching team, and should the schedule work out, I'd still love to do like classes and stuff. i still love I'm still a plan on helping out in VK as my children grow. Like, literally nothing is going to look different for most of you. This is just like an internal thing that has to happen for me. (laughs) Um, But I sense the invitation um, to reacquaint myself with all that work, all of those duties and responsibilities, and to just take a step back from them for a minute so that in time I can come at them from a different angle, a different place of saying, wow, I'm in love with Jesus. (laughs) That's that's why we... like, that's what we're doing, right? Not from a place of, like, I got to wear that pastor hat and just be at all the things, doing all the stuff. Because um, that's just crushed me. Um, but I'm feeling alive and well. Uh, but it means having this conversation with you today. So, thanks.
5: It's me. Um, I don't have anything on my phone. I, one of the great joys of the last, se- they've talked about the last seven years, the last, the joy of my last seven years is to, to watch God raise up these young leaders that sit up here this morning and to see them grow in their maturity as we all just witness this morning as they share their hearts and to see them grow in their gifting and, um, I am very um, excited for these three who are transitioning, moving on to other roles in their life, and I'm excited to see what that looks like for each, each of you, and I'm excited to see what that looks like for us as a church, that transition. Uh, this church is 31 years old now, and we have seen many transitions of leadership, and uh, most of those were very positive, and some not so much, and, um, but I really feel good about this, what God is doing. I see the hand of God in this uh, for these guys' life, lives and for us as a church, because um, I know their hearts, and I know their love for this church. As, as they have said, they're not going anywhere. See, some of us are really hard to shake. We just, we just stick around, you know? And uh, I hear that from them. And so I'm, I'm, as we've gone through these transitions over the years, I have seen the hand of God in just amazing ways uh, fill the vacuum, bring people in, raise people up, uh, bring people from outside, bring people from Korea, you know, uh, to to join with us in the mission that He's given us. So I, I'm I'm looking with great expectation uh, to what how this all plays out here in the future. And uh, again, I, I believe this is a very good thing, and it's it's the the will of God. It is, and it it, it might mean for some of us, for some of you, this might mean that. You you are going to need to stretch, and to step up, and maybe God is speaking to you about f- further uh, involvement or further uh, stepping into ministry. And who knows? I I just know that all is well uh, at the Vancouver Vineyard, and God is with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing how this what this all looks like, and how God will. Uh, Do what God always does, because he loves his church. Amen.
1: Amen. So, you guys doing okay? Yeah? Yeah, We feel good? Do you trust me? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Will you guys stand with me? I'm going to invite the ministry team to come on up. We're just going to close it here um, for this morning. Um, we, have, we have people who are available here at the front who have all been trained and um, are wonderful for being able to pray for you for anything that you might need prayer for. We all come in with all kinds of stuff you know from life and and if you need somebody just to be able to pray for you we want to we're going to hang here and be available uh, as long as you need whether it's you have something going on in your body that you need prayer for healing or relational uh, issues or financial issues whatever it is that you're bringing in here that just has you feeling heavy uh, and needing a touch from the Lord, we are available to pray for you. But we're just going to go ahead and close our service here to make space for us to just be able to hang out as a community a little bit. Um, everything that we shared this morning is literally everything there is to share this morning. There are no machinations in the background. theres There aren't side conversations happening. Everything we shared is totally where we are at. And we are a church family together. So we invite you to come and participate in the conversations to share with us your heart, your vision, your prayers um, for the future of this church. Amen.